So this particular sermon, I've been trying to preach it for the better part of a month, if not longer. But every time I went to go preach it, God laid something else on my heart. And I know that the reason is because he was leading me to a place where I could deliver this message the way that he wanted it to be delivered. He's been preparing this in my, my heart and my mind for the entire time, and God showed me a different direction to take with it. And I'm glad that he did because it's something that I feel like everybody can relate to. I feel like it's something that is extremely important. I have my important clothes on because of how important I feel like this is. And there's a lot of uh, content. I have a lot of Bible verses to back this up. And this may be a two-part video. I won't know until about halfway through. And you'll know if you click on this and the description says part one. But the verse I want to start with is... Uh, 1 Kings 19, 11 through 12. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Not only because of uh, what I'm about to talk about, but because it shows the humanity of one of the most godly characters in the Bible. One of the most used prophets of God. And I think that's important to see. I think it's important to see kind of our heroes are also human. The people that we look up to are also human, and the, the people that uh, God uses in powerful ways still experience the same flesh that humanity experiences. And this is about uh, Elijah. He had just done a bunch of great works, a bunch of power. He showed the power of God. He rained down fire from heaven. And after all of these things, one woman named Jezebel said that she was going to kill him. Immediately, he ran off, hid in a cave, got depressed. God brought him food through an angel, and he wouldn't take it. He just begged God to let him die. And those are feelings, I think, that we've all felt at certain points in our lives. I think we've all been through trials that We've kind of cried out those same things. We've gone without eating. We've gone without sleeping. We've tried to hide and cowered in fear over certain things, or we've been so depressed that we just let it consume us. And this is something that Elijah experienced immediately following a great power of God. He saw what God could do to thousands of men, yet one person caused all this anxiety in him. Sometimes it just takes that one situation. We can overcome thousands of situations in great ways. We can come out on top every single time, and then that one thing brings us down to the bottom. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's a person, a place, or a thing. Whatever it is that causes us distress, sometimes it can bring us to a place where we feel low, where we feel like we ask the question, where is God? In all this, in this uh, little short part of the story, it says, The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. 
Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Oftentimes, in our lowest points, we're looking for God's power. We're looking for a miracle. We're looking for God to move mountains and to just shatter them to pieces. But we miss out when God's trying to speak to us through these situations. When God's whispering through these situations. Oftentimes we miss the whisper because we're looking for the earthquake. We're looking for the fire. We're looking for the great and powerful wind. But if these things spoke, were able to speak to Elijah to bring him out of his misery and discomfort, then he would have never gotten to this point because he's already called down fire from heaven. He's already experienced things that God has done miraculously through him. He knows God's power. What he's trying to learn is where God is in these moments, when he's depressed, when he's sad, and what he comes to the conclusion of is God is there whispering the entire time, and if we would only just listen, we would hear his voice. We would feel his presence. In the book of Acts, uh, there's a story where uh, Paul goes to preach, and he says, God did the, it, it's Acts chapter 17, 27 through 28. He says, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. God is there the entire time. Whether we experience him in a miraculous way, or if we experience him in the just by his presence. But we need to look for him in these things. Sometimes people think that on the in the good times, in the great things, when we get that extra money or we get those blessings that uh we can brag and boast about when we get that new car or the new job or the promotion, whatever it may be, we, we attribute that to God, like God's good, God's great. But when we get to the depths, when we get to the hard parts, which far outweigh those times of financial prosperity, we see that we are missing God's presence in those times when we need him the most. It feels like when we call out to him, we're not getting an answer. It feels like when we call out, it's falling on deaf ears. They're not, the prayers aren't going through the ceiling. But we're just not listening for the right answers, I think. We're not hearing him because we're not listening for him. We're listening for something that we expect him to do or say. We're expecting an outcome, but we're saying we're placing it in God's hands. Sometimes when we place things in God's hands, it doesn't align with our expectations of what should happen. Sometimes our blessings don't come through that extra money. Sometimes it comes through somebody being there for us when we need them the most. Sometimes it goes through a kind word. Sometimes it comes through 
seeing beauty in tragedy. Sometimes it comes through things that we would never expect. Sometimes it takes death. Sometimes it takes loss. Sometimes it takes pain for us to get to the next level that God wants us to be at. When we cry out to God and we feel that we only get more misery, we only get more hurt, we only get more pain, sometimes those are the answers that God is giving us. We don't accept them because they're not what's going to make us feel good. But if joy and happiness were only about what makes us feel good, then we would not be believing the biblical narrative. Jesus talked about a joy. Jesus talked about a happiness that can't be taken away from us. Jesus constantly talked about the joy of being in obedience with his Father. He talked about this, this uh, joy unspeakable. And when we think about Jesus' life, he didn't have very many moments where he was triumphant, where he was being cheered for and celebrated and, and getting promoted and all that stuff. We see instead somebody who suffered tragedy at every turn in his life. We see somebody whose life was ended tragically. He rose from the grave. He experienced miraculous things. He did miraculous things in his life. But by and large, he went through a lot of stuff that some of us would have just begged God to take us. When Jesus is in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane and he starts sweating blood, that is a medical condition that comes from extreme fear and anxiety. It causes the capillaries to burst open and the blood comes out through your pores. Jesus felt such anxiety and anguish before his final moments. One of the things that this does is it makes our flesh more susceptible to pain. It makes us more able to experience pain at a higher, uh, to a higher degree because all of our capillaries had burst. And Jesus was immediately taken and beaten after this. His final hours, while we look at them triumphantly, were not in and of themselves good. He died for the most evil of people at the hands of the most evil of people. But he knew in these moments that God was still there. He knew that God was still good. He knew that God was still just and merciful. And we see this in the things that he said while he was on the cross. We see this in the way that he carried himself to the cross. We see this in the very being of Jesus himself as the Son of God, as the second person of the Trinity. 
we see how in spite of all this pain and anguish, Jesus still knew that God was good. That must mean that there is a joy that is beyond our physical circumstances. That must mean that God is there despite our anguish and our pain. That his goodness and our joy are not dependent on outside influence. It can't be taken away. Just because we have a bad day doesn't mean that that joy is gone. Just because we go through a hard time, just because we're depressed, just because we're anxious does not mean that God has given up. It doesn't mean that God is not there anymore. Jesus said himself that in this world we'll have trouble. But he said, fear not for I have overcome the world. Jesus' life reflects what ours should look like. Where we can walk through tragedy and still experience the peace and joy of God. In the Bible it says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. If we have that joy at the base of our hearts, it doesn't matter the situation that we're in. At another point in uh, the book of Acts, there's a story about uh, Paul and one of his friends, Silas. They go to a town and they rid a uh, fortune teller of a demon. And in doing so, it takes away all of her powers to foresee the future. So when people start seeing that they can't make any money off of her anymore now that she's a person of worth instead of a demon-possessed person. They turn, and they they try to change the narrative, and they try to paint Paul and Silas out to be these uh, heretics who are trying to twist their belief system and try to change their their way of thinking. So they jump on this opportunity to mock them, attack them, hurt them, and then throw them into the deepest part of the prison. And in this situation, it says, the story says that the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet to the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. They had suffered anguish, but instead of crying out, Where's God? Where's God? They sang hymns of praise. They prayed to God. They called out to him because they knew that he hadn't left them. They knew that even though they were in this situation, the fact of God's presence was not gone. That God was there in the midst of this stuff, in spite of this stuff, and to spite this stuff, because God is good and always present. It says he's an ever-present hope in, in times of trouble, but those are the times when we feel like he's not there the most. And this is a dangerous way of uh, 
looking at the world, this leaves us vulnerable because when we feel like we have nothing in these dark times, we try to find something. In 1 Kings uh, 20.28, God kind of touches on this in, in a tangible way. He says, the man of God came up and told the king of Israel, this is what the Lord says, because the Arameans think that the Lord is a God of the hills and not a God of the valleys. I will deliver the vast army into your hands and you will know that I am the Lord. We have two choices. We can either see God both in the good times and the bad times, or we can just cry out and say that God's not there in the bad times and then experience defeat. One analogy that I heard is uh, to think of life as kind of like a maze, one that we don't necessarily know we're going through. It's easy for somebody who's walking through a maze that doesn't understand when they go to a, take a wrong turn and they go to a dead end. They might think that that wall is all that there is. They might think that that is the end. They might think that that pain, that trial, whatever it is, that wall that puts the, that's put in front of them, they might think that that is the, all that there is, let the sorrow overtake them. But if we trust in God and realize that God is the God of the valleys, that God is the God of the maze, he's the only one that can see it from start to finish, all of the turns and twists that we could take, and he can lead us from start to finish if we allow him to. But sometimes we want to just stop at the wall. We want to stay there wallow in our pity and cry out where is god but if you have faith and understanding that god is there regardless we can hear that whisper of him saying turn around we can hear that whisper of him saying go left go right if we listen for that whisper god can bring us through the maze to bring us out to the other side and at the other side is eternal life, glory, and the wiping away of all of our tears. And I think that's important, too. In the Bible, it talks about when, uh, at the end of it all, when we're in heaven, when we all get there, it says that Jesus will wipe our tears away. He didn't say that we wouldn't have tears. He didn't say that we wouldn't have trials. He said we would. But it's what we do in those trials that's important. If we cry out and say, where's God? There is no God. We're giving up on the only hope that we have of ever getting through that. We're giving up on the only thing that could change our circumstances. Instead, we let our circumstances change us until they defeat us. If we put... All, if, if we let our past or our circumstance define us, we also let them confine us. We let them keep us in that section of the maze where we're trapped. We let it keep us in that section of the maze where we can't get out. 
We put God in a box by trying to assume that he's going to answer in a certain way. Sometimes it's in the trials that is that that's the answer. Sometimes there's stuff in us that needs to disappear so that we can truly feel joy. The mind is a powerful thing. Sometimes we can fill it with so much tension. We can fill it with so much resentment that even the best of things feel like the worst of things. Sometimes we can be so steeped in a sin that we don't realize that we've trapped ourselves. We don't realize that there's something wrong. We don't feel like we're broken because we feel like we're happy. But God wants to take away those counterfeit joys, those counterfeit happiness, and give us a real happiness that's not based on circumstance. Sometimes when we're living good, when we have all the money, when we have all the prestige, when we have all the power, we rely on that as a gauge of our goodness, as a gauge of our joy, as a gauge of our status. When we have everything going for us, it's easy to say, God gave me these blessings. This is the blessings. This is everything that I ever asked for. But oftentimes, especially in the lives of drug addicts or alcoholics or people who struggle with substance abuse or codependency or anything like that, they feel like what they're getting is good. They feel like they're happy. Deep down, they know they're not. But what they're settling for is a counterfeit joy. It's just a mask. It's just a fraud. It lets you think that you are in control. It lets you think that you have this joy. But really, it's just a knockoff. This isn't the real Louis Vuitton. This is, this is something that you bought for $12 on a street corner. This is something that is not going to affect real change in your life, not for the better. So when we settle for these mock copies of God's joy and goodness, we miss out on true joy and true peace. There are people that can go through circumstances, that can go through trials and troubles, and they can still praise God. They can still celebrate God's goodness. I'm not saying that these things are good in and of themselves. We should not be happy when somebody is taken from us. We should not be happy when somebody commits an act of evil. We should not be happy with tyranny, with oppression, with wickedness. We should want to change those things. But sometimes God uses those to change us too. Sometimes it's those circumstances that really define what God has called us to do. That really define what God does in our day-to-day -day lives. Some of the worst and hardest parts of my life, some of the parts where I was the most depressed, when I was suicidal, when I had gotten to places that I never should have gone and felt like I couldn't get out of, those were the proving grounds. Those were the places where God refined me. Those were the places where God changed my definition of what joy is. Those were the places where God could grow me, 
where God could strengthen me, where God could use me in a way that I had never thought possible. If I had just stopped at the wall, if I had just stopped and let it all end when I felt like it was the end already, if I had just stopped at that point in the maze and never thought to crawl out of it, I wouldn't be sitting here today. I would never know what it was like to experience God's presence. I would never know what it was like to experience the gifts of God. The power, the miracles, the wonderful things of God are good. Everything God does is good. But we can't truly appreciate them for what they are until we've gone through these hard times. In the book of James, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. When we have that completeness, when we know what these trials are, when we know that they're used to build us, we can see bad, bad and troubling events as something to build on instead of something to trip over. When we experience the joys, the things that we call joys, the things that we call happiness, when we experience these things in context of a life being full of both pain and pleasure, we can truly experience them both in radically different ways. When I'm up on the mountain and I see where God's brought me from, it puts the pain in context. When I can look down and I can see that valley, when I can see that darkness, when I can see where God brought me from, the joy is all the much more sweeter. If God placed me on the mountain and just never told me about anything else, eventually I'd want to crawl down in that valley and experience some of that pain because it was different, because it was not what I was used to. Sometimes God shakes us up because he knows that's what we need. Sometimes God shakes us up because we've gotten too complacent and too comfortable where we are. Sometimes God has brought us to a place where we put all of our faith in the thing that God has given us instead of putting our faith in God himself. We put so much emphasis on feeling good. We put so much emphasis on financial blessings. They have this prosperity gospel where people want to, if you sow your $100 seed, you'll win the lottery. While there's still people there in poverty. While there's people still struggling. And then the pastor has the audacity to look them in the face and tell them that it's because they're sinners. Our blessings are not dependent on those things. Jesus says that it, it rains on the just and the unjust. Bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. It's not right. 
but it's still part of God's plan. God can use even the most evil of things to do the greatest good. This is especially spelled out in the story of Joseph, where his brothers sold him into slavery, forgot about him, told his dad that he was dead, and uh, after a few years, he was sold, he was locked in a dungeon. God used him in a way that he had already been preparing him for from the get-go. Some of us have these talents that are kind of, we've almost felt like we've been born with. We have these things that we felt feel like we've had all along, but they're not put in the right context. Sometimes it takes trial. Sometimes it takes situations. Sometimes it takes being in the dungeon to really find out what the purpose of that is. And our gifts that God gives us finally come to fruition when we get into a point where we need to use them. Joseph uses it in the dungeon, and it gains him favor with the Pharaoh. It gives him his own throne, and it gives him a place of power. Well, the gift that he had was interpreting dreams. One of the dreams he had interpreted was that there was going to be a time of great plenty and then a time of famine. So what he did is he was able to plan ahead take the excess and save it for the times when they would need it during the famine and still remain prosperous. Sometimes God wants us to get into places where we're uncomfortable, but sometimes God wants us to prepare us for something that's even less comfortable. Sometimes he wants us to prepare for a season that we may need what this trial is going to give us. In Joseph's life, what it gave him was the insight to be able to help his people out. It gave him the insight to store up the food, and God was able to use him to not only bring forgiveness to his brothers, but to feed them, to save the nation that cast Joseph out. And in doing this, God is able to use that pain that Joseph experienced in a way that changes lives, not just his life, which it did deeply, but the lives of those around him, the lives of those that persecuted him. This is especially clear in the gospel accounts also. When Jesus was crucified, there was a centurion, a, a Roman soldier, that watched Jesus take his last breath and he exclaimed, truly, this is the Son of God. He was one of the people that was there to kill Jesus. And in doing so, in watching the suffering and the struggle of Jesus, he realized that that was the Messiah. Even before Jesus' own disciples realized that, when they were still scattering about because they thought that their hopes and dreams had been crushed this Roman soldier that was just a few seconds ago laughing at Jesus on the cross, knelt at the cross and accepted him for who he was. The thief that was on the cross next to Jesus recognized 
who he was in his hours of pain because he stayed silent, because he didn't give in to the, the crowds, because he didn't let his self-worth be defined by his circumstances, because he didn't let them define who he was, because he didn't let the Romans or the Jewish officials define who he was. But that's what we do. We sit there and we try to define God. There are things we can know about God. There are things that we can learn about God. But we do not define who God is just because of our understanding of who he is. Just like the circumstances he brings us through don't define us in the sense that we have to be overcome by them, but that we can overcome them through Christ. This is clear in Romans. Paul talks about this exact thing. He says, No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is living in a time where Christianity is persecuted to its fullest. He becomes a martyr for Christianity when just shortly before that, he was going to persecute them himself. He was on his way to go kill a bunch of Christians when Jesus appeared to him. He listened to Jesus' calling, and it changed his circumstances. It changed what he took from his life experiences. He was able to draw on experiences he had had and put them in the context of where Jesus brought him. He was able to look at some of these painful things, his shipwrecks, his imprisonments, his poverty, changes in status, all these things that he experienced, he was able to put into the context of what the biblical narrative says. His joy did not come from outside influence anymore. It came from Jesus himself. When we come to a place where we can use God as our sole joy, God as our bread, God in his provision, we don't have to be defined by these circumstances that we find ourselves in. Because we will find ourselves in these circumstances. We will experience pain. We will experience loss. We will experience hurt. We will come to the point where we feel like we are worthless. This is part of the human condition. But we don't have to stay there. God has given us a way out if we only listen for it. If we put our trust in him, if we get into his word and we understand what it is he's trying to tell us when we listen for that whisper when we listen for god to answer in unexpected ways we can learn a lot more god uses things that we would have never expected him to use to change the world he used 12 fishermen tax collectors 
the lowest of society to completely turn the world upside down. He used a traitor from in his midst to care to put in motion the greatest act of salvation, the only effective act of salvation in all of history. The reason that there was the resurrection was because there was the crucifixion. The reason there was the crucifixion was because of God using something terrible. And I know that when I look at this world, sometimes it's when I when I see an event that's bad, I look at it and say, this is horrible. What is this world coming to? Where is God? One time uh, after the hurricane um some it was a sunday and um i was at work and people were coming in from church and he made the statement where is your god now where was your god when this was happening people said that about 9-11 where was god but if we really look if we objectively look, if we look for the whispers, we can see where God worked, where God used that to change lives, to change the world. There are things that are not the same anymore because of those situations. There are people who are closer now because of those situations. There are relationships that have been healed because of those situations. Right now, we're in the, the COVID pandemic. I've seen and I've heard stories of people who have been brought together that never would have been brought together if this hadn't happened. People look at this and they're like, oh, they're trying to persecute the church. They're trying to shut the church down. I've seen churches do things that they would have never done. I've seen drive-through communions. I've seen baptisms with water guns. I've seen things that are so revolutionarily different from what we've been doing that God was able to use because of this tragedy, people continue to lose their lives every single day because of this. But people continue to live on and people continue to change because of this as well. The landscape changes. The lives change. There's people that are brought together. God has used all of these negative things to bring about good. The Bible says that, that God... will bring good to those that love him that I'll find the, the verse it's in uh, Romans 8.28 it says and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose if we put our trust in him we are claiming that blessing we can either let the bad stay bad in our lives. We can either take that and run with it, or we can let God use it for the good like Joseph did. We can trust him in spite of these parts of our reality and have a joy that is deeper than any superficial happiness, any riches, anything that we could possibly gloat over, 
anything that we normally think of as being good. It says in the Bible that uh, God's ways are higher than our ways. That his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God sees the big picture that we don't see. God sees the things that we miss out on. God sees the full maze from start to finish when we can only see the walls or the paths. God can use all of these things to change our lives if we let them for the better. God can help us to turn tragedy into triumph. God can help us to turn uh, our foolish actions into wisdom. God can help us to turn a sinful life into one that is pleasing to God. We only need to trust Him. We only need to follow Him. I want to pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, if there's anybody out there that's experiencing these troubled times, if there's anybody that's going through situations right now that only you know about God, bring them the clarity. Whisper into their hearts. Whisper into their minds. Whisper into their lives the way to get through the maze. Help them to come out on the other side, God. Show them that there's a better way. Help them to realize that you're there. They're just looking for you in the wrong places. That you're there calling them. Help them to hear that voice. Help them to hear you leading them. If there's anybody that doesn't know you, help them to know you right now, God. Help them to give their lives to you and just touch them in a way that they never thought possible. I thank you for all your many blessings, and I love you and praise you, and it's in your holy son's name, Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.